Okay, y'all. Welcome to Undoing the Complex with Chantelle and Dante. Yay. We're back. We are back. After a small hiatus, we're trying to find our rhythm. Yeah, we've we've done every Friday, but we missed two Fridays. And for those who have stayed committed to us and the releases of the podcast, we apologize to you for those two weeks that have been missed. We're going to do better. But also I'm pregnant. And so finding recording hours is really difficult. That's true. And when we changed it, it also changed my editing time because it's not like I don't have a full time. Babe, if you could just wake up at 6 a.m. Yeah, if I could just be you. And if I could just stay up till 10 p.m. If we were the same person. Thank God we're not. I agree. Um, anyways, well, this is a little bit of a different podcast because um, it's going to be a recorded session that we actually did with a um, conservatory school of the arts. Um, it was a sit down conversation that we had um, around what, babe? Kind of around marriage. Yeah, the premise yeah. was marriage. We talk about a whole lot. We talk about parenting. We talk about triggers. We Escaping. talk about yeah creativity codependency mm-hmm. um it's i i actually listened to it like a week ago just to kind of skim check through. yeah skim through um the content of it and it was so good like i don't mean Are to toot bragging? our horns yeah you, you, you're, you're tooting <laughs> you're tooting so here i'm gonna transition from that um uh, but i um, the, the reason I love this um, time that we were in this session was because we were in a room full of my people, just creatives and people that are doing acting and going after their, their dreams and in, in school for the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and this is going to be a two part series because it was quite a long interview yeah. because we were only supposed to be there, I think like 30, 40 minutes, but then we like cut into their other class. Half. So it's like an hour and a half long. So we're going to split it up into part one and part two. And part two has some really great questions. Like they asked a lot of really great questions and we're just super candid and open and honest. And we had so much fun doing it together Yeah, and just a lot came out of us. And, and so it's we're something special that comes out in a room like that where people are looking for answers. Yes. <laughs> so, hungry yeah. for answers. So without further ado, um, here is part one of two how one of my main goals with coaching and with conversations I have with people is to be able to put language to the human experience. Because so often we have feelings and just yucky stuff that happens inside of us, but we don't actually know what's going on inside. So then we just spiral or spin out or lean on our coping mechanisms. But when we can actually understand and put language to our experience in life, it gives so much clarity. Yeah. And then when I know what it is that I'm going through, I'm like, oh, I can, I can walk through this yeah. as long as I know what it is. Yeah. So it's my, it's my goal to be able to put language to process and human experience because if I can talk about it, then I can nestle in because I feel like, not like I'm in control, but I'm not just being swayed back and forth. Life is, life is just happening to, happening to you. Yeah. 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 One of the beauties of living with you is that... Um, Having sex with me. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so Chantel, there are moments where she says the most, like, 
like she's beautiful, put together, like just, you know, chic. And there are moments where she says things, I'm like, oh God, so, so vulnerable. Oh, put me out there. All the time, all the time. But um, Like this morning we were talking about sex, and he wanted to have it this morning, and I was like, you can just wait till the end of the day. Because um, it's yes. better, like just wait at the end excited. of the day. Yeah, yeah. And then I said, like, you can either have like the ratchet crack pipe right now, or you can have like the like the pure cocaine. Like, and I was like, what? Literally, this morning on the couch, I'm like, why is that analogy? Like, out of, out of all the analogies you could use. Yeah. Anyway. It's my dad. If you knew my dad, you'd understand. He's the yeah. most inappropriate, yeah. off colored kind of person. Yeah. But I love that. It's probably one of my favorite things about you because it shocks people. It, shock, it still shocks me. I and mean, we've been married for five years now. Five and a half. Five and a half. Which is a great segue into talking about relationships. Yes. We've been married for five and a half years. Yeah. One of them good. Just kidding. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. More good. More, more good. It's getting better. But also I, I like you a lot now. I like you a lot now, too. Yeah. No, I've always liked you. I think you liking me. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's, wait. It's going great, guys. Where are we going? Oh, first, let, let's just say, like, what, um, maybe what we do. Uh, or your life coach. Yeah, Ella said it. And a full-time mom. A full-time mom. We have two a boys. Life coach on the side. Two beautiful boys. Zion is four, and Kobe is going to be two. In May, we had a um, COVID baby. Um, crazy. He made it out. He, he says hi to people now. So he, before, he would cry anytime yeah. someone would look at him. Yeah. But now he's good. Yeah, like actually COVID-affected babies, too, not yes. just everybody else. Yes. Um, yeah, so what else? I mean, oh yeah, I'm a youth pastor with Young Saints. Um, and then I also have a side business where I do a bunch of creative design, graphic, video, website, just plethora of, so I just subcontract out work um, and then do some of the back end for Chantel's coming off life coaching business. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then I also do spoken word. Um, yes, not gonna do it. That's what attracted me to him very, very early on, but he was like a, like a baby child back then. You were like, was, 18. Yeah, you're, you're six years I'm older than me. Six years and two months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she, I'm not a cougar, I'm a puma. A cougar is if I was like 40. Plus. A puma, no, it's I'm... Like, it's like if you get to like eight years. Maybe like 20 years is a cougar. No, eight years. I'm a like fresh puma. Okay, alright, fresh puma. <laughs> Anyways, we always say, um, I met her when I was 19. And um, we always say she got to form me into the man that I am today. Because, because their brain's not fully developed till they're 25. So if you pick someone younger, then from, you from can to shape their brain. So I am what she... So dumb. So dumb. We actually had a couple, because they were, there's an age gap between them, like four or five years. And he was, when I told him that story, it's always a joke when I say it. But he actually had to like process through that, like, like, are you shaping my brain? He's, he's getting married to somebody who's older. But um, well, we have we have a bunch of um, we kind of just sat down and just thought through a little bit of our relationship and um, our marriage, our friendship, um, 
and we came up with some questions that we would maybe want to ask ourselves, like if we were to ask someone, um, and then we'll kind of go off of that. As you're getting questions, if you have different thoughts or you want to um, just write them down or remember, and then we'll leave some space at the end to do that. Cool. All right, so the first question is, how often do you have sex? Just kidding. <laughs> quick, quick, quick question, though. Um, how many are married in here? How often do we have sex? <laughs> I'd love to know that. Uh, then we compare notes and like talk about the plans. Okay, how many are single? How many are single? How many are single and want to be married? How many are dating? Or engaged. Oh, no touching. <laughs> Sorry. 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 That's the worst. That's the worst. I mean, I just, I just think about these things. Sorry. That's the worst. Um, beautiful. Okay. Great. Great. So most, mostly single, but most of us want to be married in this room. Um, maybe some people are called to being single and you feel like, yeah, it's just me and I'm good with that. But I would assume that a lot of us are dreaming about marriage and life with another person so so okay. first question to kick it off is yes. what's your pet peeve about your spouse <laughs> oh, i can share mine i haven't thought about this you haven't thought about it i know oh my pet peeve is if you give dante <laughs> go ahead go ahead go ahead if you give dante any space in our bedroom any surface ledge side table he will put piles of crap on it yeah. and, like i try and remove the I'm amount not, of surfaces and drawers yes. in our room so that he doesn't pile his crap Mur on it Murray Fondo. also yes. number two uh, wait wait, wait. before you get to the next pet peeve let me explain this situation <laughs> i'm i'm not messy i'm just i have piles like i have like like i and i know everything that's in that pile it's organized in here it's not out there so just need to explain that. Okay, what's your next pet peeve? Oh, my, my second pet peeve is Dante's coffee cup. Is I have been spilled on by Dante's coffee. Like, you don't even know how many times. We're, we're on a plane multiple times. And we're, we have children. We're carrying all this stuff in, you know, like you're trying to. And he's there with his coffee mug, like, coming through. And it just spills on me multiple times. Spills on me. One time I went to go sit in the chair and... It like spilled a little bit on the seat. It gets on my clothes. One time I was driving and all of a sudden I hear this like click, 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 click. And I look over and his coffee is spilling into the cup holder. Yeah, one, one, one time, um, this, this was like maybe a couple of months ago because I still remember it vividly. Uh, we're leaving the house, we're in a rush to go somewhere or we're switching cars or something. And she got so upset with my mug. Um, and she, she took it. Because it was sitting on my chair. She took it out of the chair and put it on the sidewalk and it hurt my feelings like it just got to me that day i was like you just put my, it's my coffee always the wrong place at the wrong time always all right my pet peeve my pet peeve um of you is definitely um your your relationship to germs and the lack thereof things can fall on the ground like we have babies, so we change diapers. I'm like, did you wash your hands? Like, Sometimes he'll observe me while I wash my hands to make I, sure that I use soap and washed it long. Yes, I do because you, you're like, oh, I don't really care. Like it's fine. Like a little poop on my hand. I'm like, wait, what? What? What did you just say? 
touch me. It's not like, I'm, I'm like, you can be you, but when it interferes with my space, like, like that poopy hand is gonna touch my face at some point. You gotta, you gotta, so that's when it like gets to me when it's like, I'm okay with you being like, you know, you're cool with your germs and y'all doing your thing. But the moment that they start to interact with my kids and me, I'm like, stop, stop. But Dante has a poop phobia. It's like an I actual, do, do. he has two children. If the poop is in the right place, like if it's in a diaper, it's fine. Yes. But if there is poop somewhere where poop is not supposed to be. Yeah, when you like smell poop and you're like, like We were in Hawaii and Zot, my, my first, he pooped in his swim diaper. Which is like, it's just, it's gross, but it's poop. And he literally, he disappeared. Here I am yeah. in the shower with him, trying to yeah. like bathe the poop off his body, and he yeah. comes out in his shoes, like his sneakers. Yeah, and you're because like, what he's you so afraid of the poop and then you getting on me, him. You chase me with the poop. You didn't say that. Like, <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> I was so mad. Oh, okay, we gotta get yeah, into we gotta some get actual questions. Actual, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Why would you say, oh. Or, Oh yeah, what, what, I can't read it. Wouldn't you say that you have a healthy marriage and why? Yeah. Um, yes, we for sure have a healthy marriage. Um, now. Now. And that's how I know we have a healthy marriage because the spaces that were unhealthy before. Um, most of us didn't learn how to do, uh, we weren't taught healthy marriage, most of us. <laughs> Um, and maybe we picked up some things along the way from parents or by watching, but you don't just wake up one day and realize, oh, I know how to do marriage. Like, I, I know how to do this. It brings out the best and the worst in you, and, um, and I'm grateful for it. But I would say now um, our, our marriage is built on a bedrock of, of very strong trust. Um, or there's nothing hidden. And that um, has been probably one of the most liberating things where I can bring fully me without fear of rejection, without fear of being too much, um, that I can, without fear of if I get it wrong, are you going to leave? And what I mean by leave is not divorce, but leave emotionally. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of people get married and they still have that fear and that still happens, yeah. you know? And, um, and I think that the health in our marriage didn't just come just between us two, or it's just us against the world, came from people that are actually doing marriage well, that we've allowed to speak into our marriage. Um, there's a book that I was going through um, and it talked about when you're trying to figure something out, borrowing someone else's frontal lobe. And, um, and I, I adopted that. Like, man, if I don't, if I don't know something, I'm like when it comes to emotional health and vulnerability and actually walking in real connection, I need to find the people that actually know how to do this well. And a lot of times we don't actually because of self-protection and self-preservation, we want to bring our best selves instead of actually reaching out and saying, hey, this is actually where I need help. This is actually where I'm not getting it right. So I think we put a lot of those things into practice. Um, I, I want you to speak into it. I got a lot of other thoughts. But yeah, and I think a misconception 
probably a subconscious misconception is that marriage fixes things or it's just this idealistic picture. Um, and probably through media and for myself, it was what my parents didn't show me. Like I saw their marriage and everybody thought we were a healthy family and wanted to be like us, but they didn't actually show me what it looked like to struggle in front of us and to disagree or to have hard seasons. And so then when I got out into the real world and life is hard and relationships are hard and I don't know how to communicate, I just had this, just this subconscious misconception that getting married was just going to fix things. Or being a Christian and being married right. is just going to fix things. Right. And that is not reality. Right. But at the same time, that I would, I would say has grown our marriage the deepest, yeah. it's made it the strongest, the healthiest, is by actually going through hard times. Yeah, and um, healthy marriage, healthy things grow. That's it. You know, like, I, I, like a, cycle, a cycle is not growth. Right, yeah. A, a cycle where we've been around the same mountain, it's just, it's maintaining. And, and I think a lot of marriage marriages learn to maintain instead of actually grow like the, the person that Chantel knows right now is not the same person she knew a year ago two years ago so on and so on and I remember even when we were dating that was one of the things when I was making my own mental list of okay is this somebody that I want to marry the fact that he was willing to grow and willing to ask for help when he needed it because I was like in dating that's great you don't really need that because you have all those chemicals swirling around that makes you think that that person is the greatest person most of the time planet most, yeah, yeah. most of the yeah. time yeah. but I knew in him that he had a, a desire to grow and a desire to let people into his life and that's something that's actually really just transformed our marriage is knowing that you're you'll never stay stagnant like I don't know if I've dated plenty of guys who I was like oh you're not going anywhere like this thing is there but seeing in him his willingness to grow and get help and ask for help and not be too proud yeah. to do so. And another part, I think another part of our health comes from um, we're not each other's counselor. Yeah. She's, she's not meeting my every need. And I think that's a lot of times the misconception of marriage yeah. is that, oh, actually, now that we're married, we're going to be meeting each other's needs. <laughs> You know, and, and you're the one who I'm coming to for everything. Yeah. And that's not the reality. And I still live nothing hidden with her. So it's not like I'm keeping things from her. There are times where I go to my guys first to say, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. I, I, need, I need your thoughts. Because I don't want, when I come home at the end of the day, I'm not just going to spill everything on her. Right. And I think a lot of times we think, Oh man, we, we used to have this um, very um, codependent term that we use, uh, and we thought it was like the thing, uh, but it was, you, you know what I'm talking about. But we would say, if you're up, I'm, I'm down. And not talking about sex, but like if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're doing good, or if I'm, if I'm doing bad, then I need you to be doing good. And if you're doing bad, then, okay, I'm going to be good that day. Like, I'm going to be up that day. And that, that creates a 
false sense of goodness happening. Because that's not real. Because there's going to be days, days where both of us are down. There's going to be days where one of us is up, one of us is, I don't know. There's going to be a bunch of different days where when us living as individuals and bringing our best selves, some days we're not going to have a lot to give. But the reality is, do we are we actually seeing each other? And am I, am I okay with where you're at? And there's so much safety for us in knowing that we're not each other's everything. We were at a point yeah. in our first couple years of marriage. Yeah. You were my everything and I was yours. And we were the only people who know, knew everything about us. Yeah. But, but, but that was because, for, for me personally, I wanted to be the hero. But because in my family, as, as a teenager... I learned to rescue. Like I was, my, my, the term that I was given in my family was peacemaker. Like Dante always brings peace. He's always the one to bring everybody together. And so I took that on and said, oh, I have to, I have to be the one to not um, be down at, at any point. I have to be the one to actually, and I want to be Chantel's hero at every point. And so I'm going to neglect what I feel or where I'm actually at, which eventually causes me to be bitter. And I was the messy one and the irresponsible one and the one who blew up her life all the time. And I thought he was on a pedestal for me when I first met him. Yeah. And my mess and my baggage and my issues, I was so afraid to let all of that show and let him see all of that, yeah. that I just kind of kept up my own walls in the sense of like, I'm going to be open, but not to where you get to see that I feel insecure or I feel afraid or I don't like myself in this moment. And so he was trying to rescue you from whatever, from whatever mess and baggage did seep out. And I was the one trying to keep my baggage from affecting this yeah. and person I, on the pedestal. I, I, I wouldn't even feel um, guilty if I didn't rescue you. Mm -hmm. I'd feel bad if I wasn't helping. And I would go into this spiral of powerlessness if because I would just always expect him to come rescue me. If I was having a hard day, if I felt really insecure that day, yeah. I would know that he was gonna eventually pull me out. So unknowingly, I literally was perpetuating the cycle instead of breaking it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that's the terrifying space. Because if, if I stop adding fuel to the fire, I don't know what's gonna happen on the other side of that. And this is the reality of vulnerability. This is why we remain in cycles, is because to some extent, it's working. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a bargain happening where, oh man, like this is actually like, it feels like we're figuring it out. Right, because I would have a hard day and I would know that he was eventually gonna pull me out of it, whether it was through gifts or talking or affirmation and he would, get his fix from that because then he would be like you rescued me but then it was like it was just me it was just this cycle of codependency where we couldn't get out of because then if i didn't rescue her or if i dropped the ball and missed it that would disrupt the cycle mm -hmm. and then i would be exposed alone bitter upset that he didn't come to my and then i'm feeling shame embarrassment and not manly enough because i, I wasn't a hero and so all of this caused us to not connect. Wow. It, it's crazy. Like you don't realize like what's happening 
until like it happens. <laughs> or you have someone else that's looking from the outside in that has a healthy marriage that knows what they're doing to some extent or they're further along than where you've been and they can say, hey, um, that's, a, that's a little weird. Because yeah. I would say that that's how it eventually got identified was we started going to marriage counseling because there were just triggers and red flags and all this stuff that was just popping up. And we're like, okay, we need, it felt like every time we would kind of get into, whether it was a disagreement or a hard time, we would just cycle and cycle and cycle and we couldn't ourselves get out of it. And so then we would just, as we would call it, we just put it on the shelf. And then eventually we had so many things on the shelf that we didn't actually know how to bring it all down and work through it in a way where we actually felt like there was nothing in the closet yeah. anymore. So then we started going to counseling and that's when it, it was those kinds of things were identified where yeah. they would call it out and we would be like, oh, I don't actually yeah. know why I do that. We, we love counseling. Um, we, we both have done it. Um, I went to counseling for about a year and a half, twice a week, um, changed my life that and the Holy Spirit um, radically changed my life. Mm -hmm. The reality is though, counseling is not a substitute for opening up to people. Like it's not, it's not, oh, counseling is my safe space. And I think that's a lot of time the misconception of counseling is, oh, now that I'm going here and I have a place that I'm opening up, we have to learn how to open up in real day in day life. Or else that that session on a Tuesday that I'm going to is going to be my next rescue. Yeah. Wow. Instead of me actually being empowered to show up every single day, where I'm not escaping, I'm not pulling away, and that's a, a for us that's been a learned journey. Because mm -hmm. um, there would be days when I would he would come home from work and he would know like I'm in a spiral and it's just going to be downhill from here, and vice versa. He'd come home after a long day of work or and you could just tell he was in a hard spot. And before, it would be like, shoot, I gotta be the one to rescue the other person now. Now I have to pull up my bootstraps and I have to be up because he's down. But now, either of us come home from a hard day or we're in a hard space, I know that there's six guys that he's opening up to. Yes. I don't even, it's not even a thing when he comes home and has a hard day that I'm like, shoot, I gotta turn it on now because I'm his only safe space. And vice versa, he knows, like, I'm in a hard space. I have eight girls that I'm yeah. going to. And the beauty of that is that that makes us want to, yeah. hey, I got your back. Yeah. I know, because I know yeah. I'm not the only one, man, I have a lot more to give you. Yeah. And so it, it's crazy how, like, when you actually start doing things in a more healthy way and you're not doing it alone, the amount of energy that comes back to you because so much of self-preservation and self-protection has to do with, man, I don't have a lot. <laughs> like I've been giving out all day and you're trying to get my last little bit on. <laughs> like that, and so learning how to actually live and interdependent, I think, I think it's probably one of the most um, important journeys to, to go on, you know? Yeah, because I, I teach this in my coaching program, but there's three types of relationships that you can have, and it's independent, codependent, and then interdependent. And I would say for myself, I lived in a very independent space before getting married. I was, my 
dreams were independent, yep. my emotions were independent, I didn't need anybody, I didn't get counsel or perspective from anybody, I just was on my island, my lone ranger. She, got, she got a master's degree during her third year um, at BSSM, yeah. while we were dating. Wow. Yes. Yeah. But it's because I was in this, I didn't, nobody could affect me, nobody, I just lived my life on an island, and yes, I got a lot done, but there was no connection, I had no close friends, nobody really knew me. And then once I learned, oh, this is what it feels like when people see you and know you, but I, it felt like a fix, like, a, like something that was giving me a high, and I swung all the way to the codependent side of like, this is what I've been missing this whole time, now I need all of it because I'm starved on that side. And then I swung to the codependent of, I need my friends and my boyfriend at the time to, to meet all of my needs because I didn't realize I had them over there, and now they're gaping and yeah. they have nothing to fill them, and so then I swung to the codependent side. Yeah. Our, our first year of marriage, like, I thought that you were the codependent one, and like, I was the awesome one. Not true. I was very much feeding into the codependency, and I was also codependent. But I remember, like, your need to always be with me was so high. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to, like, figure that out, and I wanted to, like, go out with you, and, like, be at parties and hang out and you just wanted to stay home. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize like, oh, I actually. I actually bought him a sign. <laughs> I don't know if I ever told what? you this. What? Remember that cute little sign I bought you for Christmas that said stay home? It was like me. Oh my God. Semi manipulating. <laughs> oh my Semi manipulating you and be like, staying home is better. Uh, that, but it was like this cute, I literally just threw it so out. Weird. I saw it the other day and I was like, ew. I'm not keeping this in my house. <laughs> have compassion on yourself. Oh, I'm good. But I threw it out. That's crazy. <laughs> that sign just... <laughs> I should have kept it just for an hour. That's cute. That's cute. Not cute, but kind of cute. <laughs> um, okay, we can go to the next question. Is that all right? Yeah. Um, I really want to ask the, the one. Okay. Um, Is this good? Is that right? What, what's it been like dreaming as individuals and as a couple? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go? I can go. You go. I'll go. Um, and, and this season, uh, it's been very exciting. We're, we're both dreamers. Um, I would say now you have stepped into a space where like you're like an endless wait can we first preface why we're asking this question yes just because i being in a room full of creative people you probably have dreams out the wazoo like just so many for yourself um, or at least you you really feel called to dream big yeah, okay. yeah. like you're not just here sometimes you got sometimes you want to have a dream and you're like man I'm, I'm pulling blanks I have nothing and I feel zero inspiration but I know there's a deep thing within me that resonates with the universe out there yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to get there yeah. so, yes how to get all of what's inside you out to wherever you want it to be yeah. but then there's an element that comes in when you're trying to do that with somebody else yeah. and we really came up against that because we're also really big dreamers yeah um, so that's why we're talking about it. It's not just, it felt like a hard shift of like, from relationships to now, okay, how do we dream? But yeah. that's why. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. Um, 
there's a few ways that I could talk about it, but um, when when I um, I I have endless amount of ideas for things. Uh, one of my best, um, I would say, like things that I'm I'm good at is sitting in a room with someone, um, getting their thoughts out of their head. I love using a whiteboard and like making the thoughts make sense and then grouping them together and strategizing how we're gonna get from point A to point B. Um, I learned how to not just dream about something but actualize dreams. Like how do we actually create projects, have deadlines, and then have a finished product at the very end that we can look at and be proud of, whether it's great or not, but we did it. Um, that, that whole process, I, I love it. And I love like putting it out. Um, but my, I didn't realize how much of my creativity had become an escape for me. Um, and especially in marriage, where like me, me writing or me being off in la la land and daydreaming and scheming about things. Um, that had a lot to do with pain that I was feeling, unfulfillment that I was feeling, that I wasn't voicing. And so there, there would be times where I would come home from work and I would sit in this one chair and just look out the window and just say, I'm, I'm coming down from the day. And this was a, a ritual of not being in touch with reality. And I think a lot of times as, as dreamers, um, sometimes we get afraid of reality. Yeah. And we create more fantasy of, oh man, this is what life could look like. And we actually feed ourselves from that. Like there would be times where I would dream about possibilities and I would feel good about that. And that was, that was like my ritual. That was the only thing I would do. I was, man, if I did this or if I got this opportunity or if this looked like this. And that would be where I got my need from. And then when the thing didn't happen, oh, the amount of disappointment, the amount of unfulfillment. And it was like I would have high highs and low lows. And it felt like this roller coaster of dreaming, ideas, all of these different things. So we get married, we're doing life. And that space, being in that space where I am not present with family, with my wife, that caused you to um, really despise my dreams. But what that looked like to me was she doesn't care about my dreams. I was creating a reality of my own. I, I didn't know that I was creating this reality. Oh, she doesn't like my dreams, so I have to self-protect and protect my dreams, and I can't bring my most vulnerable things to her. And then she doesn't feel she feels like I'm hiding, and so now she's upset because she want, all she wants is connection, and the thing that's breaking connection are my dreams. And so she doesn't like my dreams now. But in my mind, oh, she doesn't like my dreams because my dreams are amazing. <laughs> My dreams are going to take us places, and she can't see that. So I'm going to keep that to myself again. And we're just creating another cycle of disconnection and trying to go after a dream or whatever. Um, 
And Chantel started to break some of that. Um, there's a moment where she surprised me with a, um, like a mic. And I remember I was so thrown by it. I was like, like she, got, she invested, I guess it was an expensive mic. I was like, you, you bought this for me? And that like, that threw me so much because I was like, I, in my mind, I was like, she does not, she's not even for my dreams. She's not even, that's not even a, a thing. And this sent me on a journey of like, man, I need to actually figure out, is this a me problem? And it, and it was, um, <laughs> but um, I, I think that there's, um, we as creatives are, um, a lot of a lot of what we think about what um, a lot of what we create it starts here. It does start in the mind. It it starts with thought and dreaming and um, ideas. Um, but the temptation with that is to be stuck up there. The temptation is to man. I I feel relieved when I imagine. And I get so caught up with what I'm thinking and what I'm dreaming about that I'm more okay with that than facing the life that's in front of me. Mm-hmm. And anything that pulls me out of that space is not good. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Um, and and uh, I think it's John something, John eight. It says, you shall know um, the truth and the truth will set you free. You guys know that verse? You should know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, that, that word truth means reality. You should know reality and reality will set you free. And, and there's something about facing reality and realizing that my, my reality is not working against my dreams. The current space that I'm in is not working against my dreams. But the more I see what's in front of me, the more I'm empowered to respond to my real life. Like the the more I actually see that the reality of what's in front of me, I can then take that and start to move towards the real dreams in my life. But a lot of times when you're facing reality, there's some things that come with that pain, disappointment. But what happens when someone doesn't know how to process pain? What happens when you actually don't learn how to process pain? Where you, you're gonna escape. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to process pain, so my, my solution, the, the way that my, my soul and my, my body was trying to help me was, hey, we're gonna we're gonna avoid pain because that's not working out for us, bro. We don't know how to do that. Yeah. And we're gonna go to this other re- reality, this other fantasy, and this is where you process pain. And and I wasn't processing pain. I was just numbing, stuffing, and then, all right, keep moving until I'm in a better space. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to think, man, I just need to have fun today. Like, I need to go have fun, and, and then I'll feel a lot better, get out of my head. Um, and I take a lot of walks. Like, it's like my thing that I do, get out of my head. I take a bunch of walks. But I would, um, I would think that, like, fun was, you know, my solution to kind of get out of my head. And, man, I feel a lot better. But going through a healing journey, I realized that, man, the reason I want to have fun, the reason I want to actually go out is so that it can give me energy to face my pain again. 
Like it's not just fun unto fun. It's not just the, the next high or next excitement unto nothing. It's like, man, I need energy to go back in here and actually figure out what's going on, what's causing me not to show up because we are called to show up in every season. We're not called to ever check out. And it's, it's hard sometimes, especially as creatives, when you can imagine a world real fast. <laughs> but the, the, the more we actually learn, man, I'm actually going to face what's in front of me. Dang it, I'm tired right now. I'm going to go take a run. I'm going to go hang out with a friend. I'm going to go laugh a little bit so that I can go face this thing again. The, the more we create that healthy cycle, the, the more we build trust with ourselves that when I have an idea, when I have a dream, I know it's not to escape, but it's to fulfill something that's inside of me. You know what I mean? And, it, and it's tricky because like the, the addictive cycle of fantasy land, escaping from pain, it, it runs like right along the side, the side of fulfillment and actually experiencing the fullness of life. That, that dopamine versus oxytocin, like that reality of chemicals in the brain that fire off when you're acting or when you freaking nail that line and you're like, man, I, I felt like I was in my element and it was this moment of um, ecstasy, this moment of, man, I, I did it. You know, moments where I do spoken word and I'm getting chills from what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like th those moments are, they can be addictive. And you want to protect that if you don't realize, oh, this, this, is a, this is a really beautiful moment that I get to live in, but my reality is the life that I face. I'm not walking in chills every day. <laughs> you know, my, my sons aren't giving me chills. They're punching me and, and telling me to play all the time. But they're not warring against my dreams. Yeah. My, my family is not young. Because that kind of dopamine chasing is like a quick fix. Every time you get it, it fills that need. You feel better. The pain goes away. But then pretty soon you need that quick fix again. Um, and it, in relationships, it, it short circuits what a relationship is actually creating, which is serotonin and oxytocin, which is the, the slow drip of chemicals that actually builds trust, that builds connection. Whereas those dopamine, they're, they're just, I mean, you get it in marriage and in relationships too, but a lot of us don't know how to actually wait for things and how to prolong reward because the reward is so much better than the quick fix. So we just short circuit that what we, when we actually get that connection, that serotonin, that feeds something different than going and short-circuiting that cycle and getting the quick fix. And so in our relationship, it was like he was trying to create a world that was so, it wasn't different than the world that we lived in, but we were trying to build a life, like kids and marriage and relationships and the everyday and the long-term benefits of what it looks like when you show up in every moment. But he was trying to build a quick fix fantasy yeah. that would escape, that would allow him to escape from because what was actually happening in front of us. Or because I feel this deep purpose, this deep sense of fulfillment in doing what I'm made to do. Mm -hmm. 
but there's, there's personal responsibility that I take my life and I lay it down. When, when you're committed to someone, when you're saying we're building a life together, I lay down my life. And we're not used to that. We're used to just fulfilling the thing that's on our lives. When I, I heard someone talk about um, like our story versus God's story. And like at the end of the day, this is like, it's gonna be very dark what I'm about to say. At the end of the day, we're all gonna die and it's all gonna be about God. Like God is very into himself. <laughs> like the whole Bible is about him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't mean that we're unimportant. That just means, man, I, I have a lot of value, but my fulfillment comes from him. And that was the thing that I needed to figure out. Like, what fulfills me? What makes me, at the end of the day, man, I did what I was made to do. And, and a lot of times when we live in this thing called life, that space of fulfillment gets compromised. And you know when it's compromised, when you find yourself out of touch with reality more than you are with facing the life that's in front of you. We I use this phrase a lot in our life now. We heard it on a podcast somewhere, yeah. and it's life on life's terms. And there we're, was we're living life on life's we're living terms. life on life's terms. And there was this one time we were driving to San Francisco for this photo shoot. They were paying paying us to go and be like models ed editorial for this editorial photo shoot. Um, and we, our kids were at home. This was like, we hadn't had a full day trip in I don't even know how long. And yeah. so we were driving down and all of a sudden all this pain starts coming up out of me. And yeah. it was pain that we hadn't processed from a past season because we have two kids and life is crazy and we're just doing what's in front of us. And we processed it in huge measures, but there was part of this pain that was really, there just wasn't the space for it to come out yet. And it started coming out as we were driving down and I was starting to feel anger and pain and hurt. Yeah. And I, we were talking and we're like, we, we, in two hours, we got to show up and look like we are hot for each other. Because <laughs> it's like a it's like 20, 20 photographers, 20 photographers that are about to shoot. Yeah. There to capture us looking yeah. like we Love each are other. on for each other. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, we could, we could shelf this. Like we, is our pattern in the past of like, okay, well, we don't got time for that. The kids need us. Okay, well, we can't do that right now. We got this thing. We can't do that. We're preaching on Wednesday. We got we to stuff that. Or we could live life on life's terms and be like, okay, this pain is actually coming up for a reason. Maybe, maybe it's coming up now because now we have two and a half hours to talk it through, which we don't ever in our day-to-day -day life. And we, and we did. And we did. And it was hard. It was, it was very hard. We both cried on the way. I'm like driving, trying to like keep my eyes open. Like, oh my God, I hope I stay alive. Like, it, and it was, it was tough. But like our connection from that space, that became a pillar for us. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the, the temptation would be, the fantasy idea is, man, this should be the perfect day. We're going to San Francisco. They're paying for our babysitting. It's great. And so let's not mess that up. Yeah. Like, let's not mess up this really good thing that's happening. 
And then actually we're saying to our reality, hey, you don't matter, you're not that important, we're gonna push you to the side. But instead we said, this is our reality. Let's not pretend that we don't have pain here. We're gonna face that pain, and we're gonna talk about it together, and we're gonna walk through it, and I'm gonna hear your heart, and I'm gonna hear how my life has affected yours negatively. And I'm gonna sit in that, and I'm gonna own that. I'm not gonna rush out of that, and if we have to miss this editorial shoot, you being seen by me is more important than us doing a photo shoot with some random strangers for pictures that are only last for the next six months, and that's it. But the funny thing is, is when I look at those pictures, I feel so much joy when I yeah. see them because we showed up for each other, and the connection that is depicted in those photos, no one else would ever know yeah. what we processed through on the way up, but I know. Yes. And we have a different photo shoot that we did probably seven months earlier, yeah. and we did it, we stuffed our pain that day. It, yeah, was, it, was, a, it was deep. It was a painful day. Deep pain. <laughs> there was no time to figure it out, and we were like in the pain. And yes. I look at the, you don't even like those photos really. No, yeah, you never see me post, they're, you never see me look at No, they're beautiful, but they're both they beautiful are, photos, yeah. but when you create something from that fantasy world and pushing your real life out of the way, you can look at your work and you feel a disconnect from it. But when you look at your work, when you're like, I showed up that day, like I faced my pain before I went on stage that day, and I, I felt it inside of me, it was different. Even though the, the outcome looks the same, both sets of photos are beautiful, but you know, yeah. and you have to be the one to show up for you every day. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I only have four minutes. Okay, okay. Should we do some questions real quick? Okay, okay right, I gotta take my client. Um, that's really good. Preparing for marriage um, is you getting you ready. Because even when you get married, you still gonna be with you. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's still you. You just got a ring on your finger and you have sex and stuff, but you still with you. And that and, and that honeymoon phase, you, you might have, you know, a great great little space, but that stuff that you stuff down is gonna come back up. And and here's the beauty though. Here's the beauty. There's hope. A lot of hope. Even if you stuff it down, marriage is gonna bring it back up. You, you have you have an endless amount of opportunities for things to come up. There are so many things around you that is saying, hey, I want to trigger you. There are people, it's freaking social media, so many things that is trying to reveal to you what's inside of you. I love this thing called life. I love reality because reality sets you free. Mm -hmm. You see that? It's crazy. It's crazy that when you face what's real, it's the very thing that will allow you to step into who you're made to be. Like, I don't recognize, when I look in a mirror, the man that was standing there a year ago is not the same person. You know when you're free. 
You can put that thing to the test. That makes sense. I, I think I think learning how to face pain is is so important. You know, I like there's so many things that will want us to to just run away. You know, and not, it's hard because no no one you can put on a face. You know, especially if most of y'all in here are actors. Y'all know how to act. And now you're learning even more how to act because <laughs> you're in school to act, you know. But I, I think I think you have um, a beautiful advantage. Um, yeah, I think you have a really good advantage being in this space because the amount of vulnerability it takes to create, you know stepping out on that ledge and and experiencing, I don't know if I'm gonna fall on my face or if I'm gonna fly every single day. A <laughs> lot, lot of vulnerability. And it's crazy. You can you can pull that into your real life. You, you can really pull that into your real life. It is it is terrifying. Terrifying to do. This is why I think we talk about not doing things alone because realizing, you know, we can't do this by ourselves. We we're not made we're not made in that way. And and having people around you that can lift you up, that can also challenge you. Some of my closest friends trigger me the most. And they're still my friends. Too many times we get triggered and we pull away. Too many times something comes up and we're like, all right, all arms up, protecting. All right, that's all I'm doing. I'm just protecting. Instead of, man, I just got triggered. That's a, that's a me issue. Man, you triggered me. You're not the enemy, though. But we grew, we grew up in, in spaces where parents or siblings or whatever, they were the enemy. And to make our current reality make sense, we'll make you the enemy. You, you just triggered me. That's not okay. And we say you just triggered me, but it had nothing to do with them. What, what came out was already inside of you, and a circumstance, a person triggered it. Nobody can be the person to trigger us. They're not that powerful. It was already inside of us because that person could have said the same thing to somebody else and it would have triggered them differently. And so it's actually really empowering when stuff comes out of us because we are the only person that has the opportunity to be like, how am I going to show up for this? How am I going to walk this one out? It never has anything to do with the other person. I'm saying that because people can affect us, but we are the only ones who can control how we respond to anything that comes out. And and I'm I'm not powerless to my situation, even if it's complex. I always have an opportunity to find my power. And I'm saying this because I didn't always believe this. I grew up in a community where I felt very powerless, surrounded. But 
the reality is, man, I, I can actually show up to my life no matter the circumstance. And when I show up, that builds trust with myself. It's crazy because there's been breaks here and I've had to build back trust, but I didn't realize I also have to build back trust with myself. Like I also have to realize like, man, I, I don't, my confidence is, is not there. I'm not confident that I can actually show up. Oh, that's because I have some trust broken there. Everybody take a deep breath in. All right, y'all, that was part one of two of this interview that we did. Yeah. We I hope, hope you loved enjoyed it. it. <laughs> yes. I enjoyed listening back to it. I got a lot out of it and we were the ones talking. So yeah. And please reach out to us. Let us know how this has impacted you or um, speaks to you. And um, don't forget to leave a review on Apple music, you know, hit them five stars and write a little comment. If you're thinking anything less than a four star, then <laughs> just keep it to yourself, you know, tell you process it with your friends but don't 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 hit the stars but yeah we hit some heavy stuff so feel free to reach out to us ask us some follow-up questions we'd love to be in touch with you bye see you next week for part two <laughs>